Hello, welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker Daily. Special greetings to all listeners behind Firebreaks. I'm Andrew Harrison, and with me to help you limber up for the week ahead is Ros Taylor. Morning, Ros. How are you? Morning. Not too bad. Nice sunny morning. The clocks have gone back. It's weirdly early, and Frank Boff has died. But the big news this week is that our sister podcast, Romaniacs, is changing its name. The news, firstly, this tanker raid, the SBS boarding a Liberian registered tanker off the Isle of Wight to subdue seven stowaways. Conspiracy Twitter's going to have a field day with this, but is it too much to say that this is exactly what the government needed at the moment? Uh, No, it's not too much to say. Um, It does play into a narrative of dastardly uh, asylum seekers trying to enter Britain, but fortunately being thwarted in the channel by our elite forces, which obviously is exactly the kind of image that the government likes to portray. Of course, these are far from typical asylum seekers. Most people who are trying to reach Britain come here, as we know, on very small boats. Many of them have families or different different ages. These, these were all young men on the boat. So it's a very different scenario, but it cements this narrative of strong Britain post-Brexit defending itself in, a, in an accomplished way, in a stylish way, from invaders. And no matter, we, we will never know exactly what happened on that boat, I expect, unless some pre-released, exciting Bond-style footage is released. But the seed is sown and the optics of this are fantastic for the government. It's just a great shame that we will never, probably never hear of these guys who were trying to get to the country again and what their stories were or anything about them. They will be deported, no doubt, as soon as possible. Parliament is is off this week. Pretty Patel must be livid. This would have been a dispatch box gold moment. Yeah, she would have she would have loved that. Uh, I'm sure she'll get in some reference later on. There'll be opportunities. There'll probably be a, a nice short press conference where we talk about it. Is using the navy and the special boat service to overpower seven stowaways somewhat overkill, perhaps? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, it's a big ship uh, that they'd apparently taken over. So it's, it's not as though they were coming in on a dinghy. It's a, speci- it's a different kind of incident altogether. So I don't think it's necessarily overkill. It just so happens that the optics are good for the government. The sun went with pirates off the Isle of Wight with SBS Commando Storm oil tanker as the little tiny secondary one. That's not what their readers want. Their readers want SBS heroes. I thought that was a real, uh, you know, if, if, if you're going to, if you're going to, pass on the message which is clearly what they want to do it just seemed to be an odd way of doing it but you know somehow mysteriously it all happened in time for uh to catch the front pages and we can probably expect the brexit press and your friend of mine nigel farage to pump as much air into this as possible do you think it's going to get traction against the covid story which is directly affecting people's lives no, I don't. I think it will it will struggle to do that because it's been it's a threat that's been neutralised in a sense. Again, that plays very well into the government's uh, hands to have something which Britain has seized control of the narrative and put a stop to. So, no, I don't think Farage will be able to make much mileage out of this. But we have got a new drinking game, which is uh, every time somebody says, now they're hijacking tankers, you'll have, you will have to take a drink. They are hijacking tankers, every single one of them. So the major development on the COVID front is the reduction of the isolation period down from 14 days, possibly to seven days. Now, you predicted this, didn't you? Yeah, I did think it would happen. And I thought it would happen in mid-September because that was when France decided to reduce its quarantine period to seven days on the basis that 
people, first of all, were not obeying it, were not going to obey it. So it was partly on the basis of behavioural science and also because people are a lot less infectious after the first week and after the first 10 days, they're very much, very much less infectious. So 14 days is very much, you know, it's the absolute safest thing you can do, but it makes sense in terms of compliance to reduce it. And this is good news. This is good news for pupils in particular who when they get when a class bubble bursts they have to miss two weeks of school they will hopefully now only have to miss seven weeks uh, seven days or ten days but it has been somewhat overshadowed sadly by the government deciding to reportedly completely exempt certain categories of business person CEOs and people like that and say that they don't need to quarantine at all presumably because they're so vital for the British economy when they come back from from New York or whatever and this just exemplifies some of the worst things about this government that there is an elite class which can get away with doing stuff and the rest of us have to suffer and it's it's Dominic Cummings in a way all over again. Is reducing the isolation period a real response to science or is it simply to the to the fact that people are ignoring the 14 day thing and it's not being policed and uh, everybody knows bubbles and not going to restaurants with people you're not related to are just fantasies. People are just not following these guidelines. Well, it's both, because when you're thinking up government policy, you have to be realistic and you have to think, what are people actually going to do? And we know that about one in nine people are strictly following the 14 day quarantine guidance, one in nine. And when you've got compliance rates as low as that, you have to get your wins where you can. And as I say, the fact that the uh, the fact that people are a lot less infectious after seven days and still less after ten days is informing this policy. And we shouldn't automatically write it off uh, because it's being considered by the government as a bad idea. As I say, France have done it, and there is decent science behind it. Does the lack of enforcement and the kind of shifting and moderating of the rules compound the impression that the government doesn't really mean it when they issue strict guidelines? That that uh, and as you've just described, you know, the exemptions for certain people. Do, you know, does it? Uh, you know, as when, as you deal when you deal with kids or when you deal with pets, you've got to be firm and clear and let them know exactly what's what. And this it simply creates the impression that well, you know, there's there's rules with inverted commas around them, but actually, really. Not only they're not going to be uh, enforced, but they don't really mean it either. Yeah, exactly. It gives the impression that there is confusion behind the scenes and that the government is not being honest with us. And the law has changed literally every week since the beginning of this crisis, sometimes more often than that when you're taking into account local changes. It is incredibly confusing for people to have laws that they have to follow, which change constantly. And that creates a massive breakdown in trust. And we are seeing that where we've seen reports today in the press of restaurant owners knowing perfectly well that the people going to their restaurants and dining there are from different families because they go up to uh, they go up to each other and say, oh, how are things are going, which, you know, you don't tend to say if you're living in the same household as someone. Yeah. Um, and they know that, but they can't do anything about it because if they did, you could imagine the kickback and the difficulties they would have. They're not police. They're not the police themselves. Don't have, of course, the powers to enforce all this. You can only ask so much of people, and I think most people are at the limit of what they can understand and be expected to do. We're also told to limber ourselves up for a tier four which is supposed to be coming out 
you know, a whole new, a brand new release, an expansion pack, indeed, for the uh, for the regulations. I have no idea. I mean, that 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 is presumably tier four is indistinguishable from the lockdown we experienced in spring. It may be, it may not be. You know, it may include kids being still being able to go to school. It may include some kids being able to go to school. Uh, when we get up to tier twenty three, I'm sure that we will have a better idea of of uh, what tier four involves. <laughs> It is, uh, yeah, it's got to be very, very high, hasn't it? Because tier three is very high. So we've got to go to either extremely high, very, very high, or some other intensifier high. Who knows? I think tier 23 is when you put the entire population in suspended animation and we just wait for the whole thing to blow over. This is all happening alongside further news that Track and Trace is still failing. Only 15% of people are getting their results within 24 hours as they're supposed to. And, you know, you would have thought that even for, you know, permanent campaigners like the government, job number one would be restore confidence. Are there other things they could do to restore confidence? Bernard Jenkins wants Dido Harding to be sacked and replaced by a military figure. Do we expect a further bold move later in the week? I would be reasonably surprised if Dido Harding lasts another month. Um, I don't think she will be explicitly sacked. I think she, she will be effectively replaced by somebody else who has a slightly different job title, but who is doing her job, because it would be too embarrassing otherwise for the government to have appointed a crony and for that crony to have been found to be so inadequate. As for the idea of a military figure, I'm sure that appeals to people like Bernard Jenkin. Um, <laughs> the military certainly have their strengths. I'm not sure they've got a lot of experience running call centres and setting up massive medical testing services, which is effectively what you need to do here. Their strengths lie elsewhere, and they were very useful, for example, when it came to setting up the Nightingale hospitals and installing all that equipment and moving all that stuff around. But it's not necessarily at all a job for a military person. This is just grandstanding on the part of Jenkins. It is the archetypal know-nothing in the pub suggestion, isn't it? Put the army in charge of what? Yeah. Everything. Put the army in charge. They know what they're doing. Put the yes. army in charge of school meals. So the, big, so the big issue over the weekend was the school meals fiasco. This continues to grow. People are now leaving empty plates outside Conservative constituency offices. Are we expecting a U-turn on this, that the government will add to its impressive roster of U-turns and sanction free school meals for kids? No, I think this has reached the Cummings point now, by which I mean that the press has got sufficiently bored of it as a story that the pressure on the government will begin to abate and they will get away with it. And that was what happens with Dominic Cummings. He just clung on and clung on and eventually the press moved on and that is what they will hope to have happened here. This is, however, I think exactly what the government hoped would happen. This is the best case scenario in terms of an outcome for them. They haven't given in. They haven't had to cough up the school meals. But guess what? Other people, including businesses, who many of which are really suffering as a result of the COVID pandemic, businesses are stepping in and doing their job for them. This is exactly the kind of thing that David Cameron was very keen on in around 2010. The big society idea that people, when they saw a need in their local communities, would step in and meet it, and that governments, central government in particular, would not have to do that. Now, in effect, of course, it's often been local councils who've stepped in here. So, it's a slightly different story. And those local councils too are often 
really struggling to make ends meet at the moment. So it's not quite the right thing. They would prefer it if um, individuals and the private sector were able to set up, I don't know, soup kitchens to feed these kids. But it is an outcome that is in line with mainstream conservative thinking. And the big society idea has not been entirely discredited in the Conservative Party. So I would not be surprised if this quietly went away, at least until Christmas, uh, when it will it will come up again, because things will be that much worse and people will be visibly struggling a lot more. And prepare yourself for all of the twist headlines uh, around Christmas. What has this episode done to discipline among the Conservative Party and, and how's it going to develop this week? Because, you know, one sorry MP told The Guardian this was a political handling disaster and they'd never known so many Conservative MPs and council leaders so angry. Yeah, I keep hearing this. I mean, don't you keep hearing this, Andrew? Mm. I keep hearing this about uh, London Tory MPs who are furious about the idea of uh, having to extend the congestion charge to the North and the South Circular. Uh, because of the impact it would have on motorists. I hear this over and over again, that they're all furious, and yet it just carries on happening. Mm. It's certainly shown Conservative MPs in their least attractive light this week. Brendan Clark-Smith, I do not believe in nationalising children. Ben Bradley calling free school meals £20 cash direct to a crack den and a brothel. Ben Bradshaw, the Labour MP, had to say, stop tweeting me, it's not me, it's him. Do you think that this will now abate, or has it further cemented the idea that... uh, you know, this is actually very much a 1980s-style Conservative Party and they don't care. I don't think this is a 1980s-style Conservative government. I don't think a 1980s-style Conservative government would have been anything like this vicious. Um, mm. It was pretty bad then, sure, but uh, it wasn't quite as nasty as this. Uh, there was, you know, the the odd high-profile figure like Nicholas Ridley who would say things that were reasonably out- outrageous, but they weren't on the level this time. I think once you start dabbling with populism, once you stare into the abyss, you know, the abyss stares back at you because you get quick results and social media rewards people who make themselves visible and say controversial things. And while they have Twitter in order to put their vile sentiments across and they get positive feedback from some people and some constituents saying yeah 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 all these scroungers they will continue to do it on the upside though the faster we nationalize children the faster we can privatize them so you know if you see sid tell him there's some bargains going two more things the internal market bill goes into the lords this week uh, are we expecting it to be amended to death or will it be a purely symbolic uh, act of resistance as it goes through the lords Not much is actually happening this week. Of course, as you said, the Commons is on half term. The Lords is not, but they're basically just sitting in committees mostly. So that means that they're taking apart some of the intricacies of the Internal Markets Bill, but not the most controversial parts on which they will probably um, vote around early, mid-November next week onwards. So it's going to be reasonably quiet in the Lords. Um, more in, more interestingly, I think from my point of view in the Lords, there is a lot of talk about Lords reform among the Lords themselves, which is right. exciting. And the possibility that you might be kicked out from the Lords if you don't attend for a year. I mean, just imagine, because there's too many of them. There's about 800 at the moment, if not more. can't remember the exact figure. And they realise, they know themselves that there are too many of them. And so there has been a proposal that if you do not turn up for a year, you are removed from the Lords. Now, you know, for the rest of us, this might seem reasonably, 
you know, this might, this yeah. might even seem reasonable because, hey, you know, if you don't turn up at your gym or swimming pool for a, a year, you might think, well, what is the point of my subscription? I might just as well leave. But of course, this will not be the case for, for many of the lords, especially those who think they have a God-given right to be there, even if they don't bother to turn up. So hopefully, I'm really hoping that there will be a bit of activity and engagement around this because these people who do not turn up for whatever reason, doesn't matter if it's ill health, because if you're in that much ill health, you really can't do the job. If they don't turn up, then they should be kicked out. So that's that's uh, what I'm hoping for to see in the next month or two. And finally, while polls in the presidential election are tightening, it's still looking like a Biden presidency. Do we expect the formerly dead EU trade talks to be strung out till after the election, as reports were saying over the weekend, in that the government has perhaps miscalculated, imagining that it's going to have a Trump presidency that's going to give it its lovely trade deal that it thinks will work for us? Yes, there were reports that the government is going to wait and see if it goes for no deal until it sees whether Joe Biden wins the presidency, which does look pretty much likely there. I hate to hold out hostage fortune. Yeah. We're all terrified in case Trump wins again. But it does look likely that Biden will win. Of course, he won't be in charge until January. So there yeah. won't be immediate changes. But it will be a bit of a Philip for in hard times if he does. The idea that you can decide whether to go for no deal or not based on the leadership of another country really exposes the worst of Brexiteer thinking. And it just shows how much this is a populist project that depends on a general move to populism rather than being in any way in the interests of Britain. Mm. And for anybody who wasn't quite sure whether we should go for no deal or not, that really ought to tell them what the government's true intentions are when they keep this constant dance of, oh, yes, we may go a deal, maybe a deal, maybe not, maybe a deal. It just keeps going back and forwards. So I think the trade talks will hang on a bit until we have a result there. Yes, that is getting very close, of course, to the wire. But does that seem to bother Boris Johnson? No. That's true. So there you go. A replay of the SAS storming the Iranian embassy and a reboot of Maggie Thatcher Milk Snatcher. If you can remember the 80s, you weren't there, man. There's a new Bunker Daily every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday with the full length panel show every Wednesday. So do subscribe so you won't miss them. And if you want to get them early so that you can listen the preceding evening and be the first kid on your block to know what's what, then back us on Patreon. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast for details. Ros, thanks for getting up early and uh, discussing all this stuff with you. Pleasure. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. And three cheers for the SBS and the glam that goes with it. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer was Jacob Archbold, and audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production. <laughs>